Well, here we are again, um, June the 21st, 2019, another solstice. Um, I think for some reason probably the third Friday of the month helps, um, but seems to have been on quite a few solstice uh, Fridays in the uh, last 14 or 15 years. So anyway, yeah, happy solstice to all you out there. Uh, longest day of the year, and um, things are getting warmer and warmer, even though the days are going to get shorter and shorter from here on in, and uh, hopefully the... Uh, imminent threat of war with the Middle East is not going to materialize anytime in the foreseeable future, folks, so we can uh, enjoy our lives and raise our children and uh, try and live in peace. All right, so um, this is Ask Your Herb Doctor, uh, the third Friday of every month from 7 to 8 p.m. Uh, this show runs as a live show, folks, and so from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you are invited, uh, welcome to call in, hopefully with questions related to this month's topic, or a random loose topic around um, postpartum depression, um, steroid hormones, uh, new drugs with dangerous consequences, uh, and all the other fun stuff that we uh, bring up to light. And as always, Dr. Pete's going to bring his science-based wisdom to bear in uh, on these subjects. So uh, from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with questions either related or unrelated to that subject matter that I spoke of. And then... Um, yeah, we're always uh, we're always very pleased to get people from all over the world. It's, it's kind of a fun thing when people call in from Australia or they call in from, you know, somewhere in England or wherever. Anyway, uh, the number here, if you'd like to call in from 7.30 on uh, to pose any questions you have to Dr. Pete or myself, uh, the number is area code 707-923-3911. Uh, and I can be reached uh, at the end of the show or through business hours monday through friday or anytime on the web either at the 888 number which is wbm herb so 1888 wbm herb or you can email me andrew at westernbotanicalmedicine.com so uh, once again we're very pleased to have dr pete on the radio show Are you there dr pete yes okay thanks so much for giving your time as you've uh, you've done for many years now on this show we really do appreciate it um okay so your latest uh, newsletter on postpartum depression, brain aging, and reductionism uh, continues uh, along those lines and topics of the uh, ongoing reductionism in science uh, and how short-sighted uh, that science is and um, linked to aging and the disease that some of these drugs are now causing that we'll get into later on with the obesity and Alzheimer's and diabetes epidemic. Um, so for those people perhaps who've never listened to the show before or who maybe even haven't heard your name, uh, would you just outline your scientific and academic background for us before we start? Um, after uh, teaching a variety of subjects, including linguistics uh, and literature, uh, I decided to go to graduate school in biology and I got my PhD in 1972, uh, and uh, have been continuing uh, to study uh, mostly physiology uh, and uh, stress and aging since then. Okay, and uh, if people aren't aware of also, you've spent a long time and you still do spend uh, a lot of time uh, emailing people about health-related issues, and that's uh, pretty much what you've been working on for the last 40 years or so since you graduated Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, good. So uh, I, after looking at your newsletter and uh, formulating some questions for you based on it, I um, just wanted to uh, get a little bit of your um, 
inside inside thought processes here when you've uh, uh, claimed or made the statements that you make. Um, I think it's hard for sometimes for people to understand uh, the things that you say because it sometimes seems so counter, well not sometimes, but quite often it's fairly counterintuitive to all the brainwashing that we get daily from books, magazines, TV, uh, adverts, etc. And as the world becomes more homogenous and the internet links people more fluidly into this kind of cohesive organism, um, as you've always said, you know, William Blake's quoted that a lie travels around the world quicker than truth can get her bootstraps on. Um, but I wanted to just talk briefly about the uh, uh, product that has just been given FDA approval uh, this month called Zureso, uh, also known as Brexanolone or also known as allopregnanolone, which we've mentioned in the past. It's a naturally occurring metabolite. Uh, of naturally produced progesterone, but it's been used and given approval as an injection, uh, given over a 60-hour infusion in hospital to treat postpartum depression, uh, and it costs $34,000. Okay, so uh, why not simply use a $30 bottle of progesterone or pregnenolone, both of which quickly convert in the body to allopregnenolone, and don't require extortionate hospitalization and drug costs, further skyrocketing health insurance costs and drug manufacturer profits. Um, what, uh, what, what's your take on the reason that this drug has been given? Now, I guess, firstly, um, FDA approval uh, for this condition, which I'd like you to outline, and I'm sure you will as uh, the questions go on here, in terms of the treatment of postpartum depression or why it occurs in the first place, because I know you definitely have... Uh, uh, your own uh, opinions for th- for that, um, but why why uh, allopregnanolone and then allopregnanolone and then why an infusion and now they're patenting previously what would have been classed as a natural product that women naturally produce and is naturally converted to this substance just as a byproduct of metabolism. Um, if it was um, a, a natural therapy, it would be cheap and not patented, uh, and uh, no one would make or hope to make several billion dollars a year from selling it. Uh, For the last 10 or 15 years, the FDA has acted as though it's in the business of creating monopolies. Uh, They did it with uh, the uh, sedative or semi-anesthetic drug Oxybate several years ago, and it went from costing a few dollars for a bottle of it to uh, thousands of dollars uh, for a course of treatment. Because uh, uh, it's been patented and the company's been allowed to use this as their standard and it's been protected? Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, after that, they uh, uh, declared that quinine was a new drug <laughs> and uh, assigned a new drug uh, approval to one company. Wow. Uh, and...
and it happens to compete with one of these new drug assignments, uh, it's in effect uh, the, the doctors uh, attempting to break a monopoly. And uh, in some situations, doctors are actually losing their licenses for uh, using traditional medical reasoning uh, and and uh, uh, avoiding the uh, so-called evidence-based medicine. Right, which has become very pop as a phrase has become very popular over the last few years, and I'd never heard of that up until probably 2014 or so, when studies would say the evidence-based medicine and. and Things seem to be gearing up to using that as the new paradigm. Yeah, what they mean by yeah, evidence <laughs> is is a study that cost uh, maybe a hundred and fifty billion dollars, uh, and uh, not just any researcher has that money to uh, uh, test, for example, uh, a, a particular nutrient or hormone to treat a, a disease. Uh, so what? constitutes good evidence in, in this new paradigm, the monopoly paradigm. It's a, a study that no one but the giant corporations mm-hmm. can afford, and so mm-hmm. the only drugs that have legal approval uh, by the FDA are monopoly drugs. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the extent to which those, the state licensing boards are putting pressure on doctors to conform and follow guidelines. It, 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 in some situations, it's just getting ridiculous that uh, they're telling uh, doctors, for example, not to consider any of the traditional signs of hypothyroidism in uh, treating hypothyroidism, but to go only by the TSH mm-hmm. to ignore all of the metabolic and functional signs that are recognized uh, for 200 years as hypothyroidism. It's a kind of communism, right, where there's only one, uh, there's only one way. Um, it, well, it, it's strictly <laughs> monopoly capitalism. Maybe totalitarianism. Totalitarian. <laughs> yeah. totalitarian. Okay, right. Well, communism for the pure... Uh, the pure uh, definition of the word, maybe not, but uh, it's uh, very dictator- dictator- dictatorial. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Okay, so, um, you know, you can't produce these drugs unless you can afford to play. Uh, and when you do, you get the monopoly, and the um, the payback keeps the system going and keeps the monopoly going in place. Uh, but the, uh, just speak a little bit more about the evidence-based medicine and the kind of destructive nature of it. You've mentioned the fact that doctors no longer can use reasoning and their brains and i i know and i know them i know some of them for sure i don't know a lot of them but i know some very well-intentioned doctors who are purely altruistic about what they want to do whilst you know studying medicine and when they're actually consulting with people they really do have a genuine heart for the well-being of the patient you know and quite probably the hippocratic oath to exist too in their in their prescribing but in terms of a doctor using them using their reasoning and this evidence based evidence based medicine paradigm being becoming something that is really in a place to inhibit and pre- prohibit uh, and punish uh, reasoning that's uh, that's very dangerous yeah in the newsletter i, I mentioned the movement to uh, abolish the 
so-called basic science part of medical education the first two years right. where they actually study science. Well, just describe and, that a little too, you know, just so people hear it, because most people won't subscribe to a newsletter and they probably won't understand, won't hear this. So just just speak a little bit about that, about the person who came up with this ridiculous statement and how what it implies. Um, yeah, he has written articles uh, uh, pointing out that uh, there have been over 350 uh, reversals of traditional medicine done by uh, uh, these uh, big uh, gold standard corporate studies. Uh, and uh, so he's uh, uh, seeming, seeming like a, a progressive, constructive person uh, wanting to get truth in the science. But he says that these, these big studies are the uh, evidence that we have to take into account, and uh, all we need is guidelines what to do, uh, how to um, use these approved, uh, well-documented, so-called scientific uh, treatments. Uh, And if we have guidelines for all of the diseases, uh, how to just follow a chart of reasoning laid out by the uh, committees, government, government basically, uh, for treating a disease. Everyone will treat the disease in, in the same way, uh, being becoming blind to the individual variations and their unique history. Uh, and it, it's trying to uh, reduce and abstract medicine to uh, uh, the, the point that no, no brain is necessary, only right. following guidelines. Right, you probably just need a, uh, a simple flowchart, yes or no, if, if, if A plus B equals C, go to D. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, and uh, if that's the case, then they don't need uh, the first two years of medical school, because wow. that's where they study the science. But uh, the, the trouble, even with that reasoning, is that the sciences themselves over the last hundred years have been, uh, all of the sciences related to medicine have been powerfully invaded by the drug companies. Mm -hmm. So that physiology, neurology, endocrinology, uh, uh, the uh, kidney, heart, lung, brain, all, all of the systems of the body have had their understanding shaped by the reductionist ideal that uh, one sickness can be defined uh, for everyone and treated with a specific uh, uh, drug. Scary. Well, hold on a second there. Uh, You're listening to Ask Europe Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM uh, from 8.30, sorry, from 7.30 to 8 (laughs) o'clock. The last half hour of the show, you're invited to call in with any questions related or unrelated to this month's subject, uh, based loosely on postpartum depression, uh, new drugs that are coming out. Um, and yeah, things, pathology surrounding uh, pregnancy. The number here is 707-707-986. Sorry, 923. Gosh, I'm making a few mistakes tonight. 707-923-3911. Oh, I'm just too excited. And it is a solstice. So, and doctor. You're giving us your phone number, in all <laughs> fairness. I, well, I gave you my phone number earlier. All right. So, Dr. Pete, getting back to <clears throat> this new drug that's just been patented, it's a metabolite of a naturally occurring product called out, uh, out um, 
allopregnolone and given as an infusion cost $34,000 reminds me of the uh, Harvoni Solvaldi for hep C treatment which is uh, 90 something thousand and I saw more genetic ones, I saw one in England that just came out, it's $234,000 for the treatment it's a new targeted uh, antibody um, uh, process where you individually send Bloods, a blood, uh, the patient's blood to a lab in America. Um, they basically uh, just sequence it and they target uh, the antibodies that they produce into the cell and send the blood back. And the blood is then reinfused into the patient, and they're saying that they're getting some fairly good results for lymphoma. But the side effects seem pretty dangerous. Anyway, um, sorry to digress a little. But so far as the allopregnolone. Um, and its infusions concerned, uh, why wouldn't, you know, why couldn't you just use pregnalone as a precursor or progesterone? What? Uh, yeah, someone tested that and found that just a tiny dose of oral progesterone, 20 milligrams, tripled okay. 20. the amount of allopregnalone in the body. 20 milligrams, yeah. right. So uh, there's absolutely no reason not to use orally progesterone or pregnalone. And if the sole purpose of treating um, patients, I guess, have been pre-identified as having post, uh, postpartum um, depression uh, because they're still in the hospital in this hospital situation um, for a 60-hour infusion, um, that just seems, oh gosh, I don't know, it, it, it just seems like an expensive stay in a very expensive, uh, um, you know, <laughs> hotel it's like a i don't know is this uh, yeah ordinary reasoning would say that if you want to increase the amount of allopregnanolone in the brain why not take uh, 20 milligrams of progesterone that costs, right. uh, see i just don't think for a dollar or so uh-huh. i just don't think enough people know and as time goes on it just gets more and more buried and if we're talking about evidence-based medicine becoming this forced new standard and there is only one pathway through from diagnosis to prescription um you know it's only something like the internet that's going to keep uh this evidence or this information alive but i i know and i think it's happening more and more as time goes by but uh when you search for things on google or other um you know search engines i don't recommend google for a minute but i'm just saying when you search for things a lot of things are becoming very difficult to find um and i know this happens but i don't want to get off the beaten track with that with that uh, statement so dr p um Talk, okay. one, one other point is that allopregnanolone is essentially the end of a line of uh, metabolites, mm-hmm. uh, starting with cholesterol. Right. And uh, those are regulated at many steps before they uh, come into existence. And so when you give the end product without looking mm. at the condition of all of the preceding steps... Right. That's a great opportunity for throwing the whole system out of balance. Uh, for example, estrogen and uh, aldosterone are other uh, end products of a line of, of steroid metabolism. And uh, each of those has a long history in which it turns out that uh, their excess is, is very dangerous. Uh, I don't know if anything like that will turn out for... Hmm. Uh, yeah, using the, the simple allopregnanolone yeah. without any of its precursors, but it's 
something they haven't examined. Right, a little bit too new. I, I, that reminds me, I, the, um, and I found a kind of, I think there's a, a reasonably uh, uh, good link here between the GABA receptor that valerian, uh, a common uh, medicinal herb used for anxiety and insomnia, um, valerian acts on a GABA receptor in the brain. A GABA receptor is mediated by chloride ions and they cause inhibition and sedation and they calm excitox, excitability down. So they're, an, they're anti-excitotoxic. Um, so I saw a study here with allopregnanolone and it was actually a fairly old article. It was a 2006 article from um, a university in Sweden in Umea. And uh, they noted that the... Um, <laughs> The thing was biphasic. They were saying, and this reminds me, like I said, of valerian, because most people use valerian for insomnia and overexcitation. It calms people down. That's what it's, you know, that's what its uh, traditional use has always been for. But I've noticed definitely, and I know other people that practice herbal medicine in England and see a lot of people and use and prescribe valerian have noticed that there is a small subset of the population that actually gets stimulated by it and this article about allopregnanolone said the same thing that at certain doses uh, it was excitatory and at other doses it had more of a calming uh, stabilizing effect do you that's the sort of thing you risk when you're using an end of line uh, metabolite uh, because normally it can never uh, get above a certain level because it has to go through all of these stages in which uh, e- each precursor uh, produces right, it's got some a kind of smaller amount of, of yeah. product. And so if you artificially give an amount that the body could never experience on its own, uh, then you're going to, for example, uh, possibly anesthetize <laughs> some of the regulatory inhibitory nerves. And... Uh, yeah. Uh, release uh, things that uh, are less sensitive to inhibition. So what you're doing is uh, risking something that the organism has never experienced before and uh, is unpredictable. What uh, I was going to ask you a little bit later on, but probably now is a good time to ask you the question about postpartum depression for which this drug has been approved. And, um, And your... Uh, your understanding of uh, the cause of postpartum depression, how this can be avoided by women if they do the right thing, because I, I, I believe you know it's very treatable. Uh, uh, yeah, it happens in women with uh, a history of stress, uh, difficult pregnancy, difficult birth, or uh, maybe those were uh, routine, but um, maybe there was a, a history of stress earlier in life, uh, and uh, uh, each stage she was uh, compensating for, but uh, the, the burden of, of going through the pregnancy and birth, uh, uh, when you're building the baby's body and brain, uh, if you don't have enough calcium available in your diet, for example, you increase your parathyroid hormone and take calcium out of your bones to build the baby's bones. And uh, vitamins and, and hormones are, uh, the baby gets priority over some of these nutrients. And so the, even in an apparently healthy woman, uh, the pregnancy increases the risk of a nutritional deficiency. And uh, the fact is that the women who 
suffer uh, postpartum depression have had some kind of a history of, of preceding stress. Okay. Um, do you think there's any uh, relation to uh, menstrual disorders? Because I think... Uh, yeah, PM, PMS exactly is right. closely related to um, right. postpartum. Yeah, okay. All right. So you're listening to Ask Your Web Dr. Kami D. Garville, 91.1 FM, and from 7.30 uh, here in a few moments uh, until the end of the show, you're invited to call in with questions uh, related or unrelated to the subject here, and it's uh, 707-923-3911. Okay, so I wanted to ask you again about um, exposure to high levels of estrogen. If if, if we would uh, tenet posit the uh, suggestion that exposure to very high levels of estrogen being directly responsible for the dramatic shrinkage in grey matter of the brain, which has been shown, uh, which women refer to as baby brain and which the MRI studies confirm, uh, being analogous to advanced ageing, why isn't progesterone supplementation after birth recommended to speed up recovery of the grey matter resolution as it's clearly been shown to reverse the effects and what would be a reasonable amount of progesterone postpartum and for how long? In healthy women, the uh, uh, progesterone level in the uh, cerebrospinal fluid and plasma uh, increases uh, considerably uh, during the time when the brain is being repaired after the stress of pregnancy. Uh, but the um, amount of um, cholesterol can be determining. Uh, normally, during this time of a progesterone increase in the healthy woman after the birth, cholesterol is well above normal and is uh, the precursor for making the large amount of progesterone. But the women with postpartum depression typically have a, a reduced uh, level of uh, cholesterol, and so they just couldn't possibly make enough progesterone if, if the precursor isn't there. And vitamin A and thyroid are other limiting factors. So even if the cholesterol is there but they're low thyroid or have a, a vitamin A deficiency, uh, then they won't make the restorative amount of progesterone. And uh, like that one experiment showed uh, 20 milligrams orally of progesterone is enough to uh, triple the amount of uh, allopregnanolone. But uh, a a normal cycling woman uh, produces about 30 milligrams of progesterone uh, daily in the luteal phase. Uh, So I think that would be a reasonable amount uh, therapeutically in the uh, postpartum time. But the requirement depends if she's still under stress mm-hmm. and producing or not eliminating estrogen as well as she should, then it might take larger amounts. And that depends on things like your thyroid function, cholesterol level, vitamin A, and stress hormones. Okay, uh, I've, I've heard you. Uh, I've heard you mention in the past um, uh, hydroxy uh, um as a possible, uh, you know, compound to improve cholesterol levels. But I you know you've always mentioned uh, lots of fructose uh, with a healthy liver and thyroid uh, also being responsible for improving cholesterol levels, and these 
specifically to enable downstream manufacture of steroid and neuroprotective hormones um, like progesterone in females, etc. Uh, do you have any other suggestions for increasing, <laughs> it seems a little odd to ask, but for increasing cholesterol levels? Um, I think um, having enough carbohydrate, uh, sugar in the diet is a very important thing. Okay, sugar and carbohydrate. All right. Okay, so uh, next question then. Um, and I've wondered this. I don't have any evidence for it, but I'm going to put it out then. You've probably thought about it, so I think it's a good uh, good, good point to ask you. Uh, do you do you think uh, there is a subset of women um, who, despite the massive rise of progesterone they benefit from during pregnancy, are still actually estrogen-dominant, essentially? Oh, oh sure, yeah, yeah. especially if, if they have had a history of PMS or, or any kind of uh, biological stress. And it, most often it's uh, associated with slightly low thyroid function. Okay, so that can exist. It's only because I've seen the numbers that they are put out there, whether it's you know, medical publications or, or alternative, but the, uh, the, the, the huge increase in progesterone, you would think... Um, Will outweigh the you know the the, the rise because the, I know it's also a concomitant rise of estrogen. But do you have any um, any idea of the proportion of? Uh... Yeah, about fifty years ago, I, I saw <clears throat> a good chart based on very large number of pregnancies, in which um, there was a steady increase of, of progesterone through the whole pregnancy, just a, a very steady increase uh, at a level. I think it was 50 times higher than the estrogen level. And charts are very misleading usually. They often graph them with different axes for estrogen and progesterone. So it really should show an extremely low line for the estrogen for being 50 times lower on the uh, concentration okay but uh, but it is still it's still very possible to be estrogen dominant during a pregnancy and uh, re- regardless of the amount of progesterone being secreted which is pretty high especially and, uh, yeah you have a, a limited capacity to carry uh, a progesterone because of this uh, needing 50 times more than estrogen right. uh, and so if, if your uh, background estrogen is staying high because of low thyroid function or a a low B vitamin or low protein intake or something, Mm -hmm. uh, then it's impossible to produce and distribute enough progesterone to offset that uh, falsely high amount of estrogen. And and so no amount of progesterone increase uh, Uh will make that pregnancy healthy it, it requires getting the estrogen under control with nutrition and good thyroid function well, okay all right well before we take this first call let me just say that uh, from now until the end of the show uh, if you'd like to call in the number is 707-923-3911 uh, let's take this first call a call away from what's your question uh, uh new york and two questions for dr p first um i guess uh you're you're not a fan of vigorous exercise but um I've read that as long as you're not running a marathon, if you're running for 20 minutes or whatever and you're doing sprints, that it actually increases CO2. Do you agree with that? 
um, because I know nitric oxide and lactic acid are the the ones that you want to avoid excess amounts of. It, but even it, yeah, it, anyway. entirely on on your physiology, especially your thyroid function. Uh, a, a person with borderline hypothyroidism uh, will, uh, with just the most uh, slight exertion, will start producing lactic acid, uh, which displaces uh, the carbon dioxide. Uh, and uh, so if, if you're really in, in great condition, uh, you can keep your carbon dioxide uh, level up and not produce any lactic acid. Uh, with a moderate amount of exercise. But okay, so it's not. It, it, so it's, whether or not it's useful or not is sort of depending on the the health of the individual. I guess it could for a healthy person it could be very positive. For an unhealthy person it could be very, you know, add to their problems essentially. Uh, is what I hear. Yeah, yeah, when when the lactic acid goes up because you're not using oxygen properly, then you release first a lot of histamine, which produces soreness and and. Uh, Maybe asthma and various symptoms, and then uh, it, the, the histamine is causing the blood pressure to go down after the exercise. But uh, with greater exercise, then you release, release uh, serotonin from the mast cells, and that could cause a, a blood pressure spike, uh, which is much worse than just the histamine effect. Okay, so just the second part of my first question, if you take the assumption that people over 50 are predominantly hypothyroid, even if they weren't, you know, in their earlier years, and 60 certainly, then if people are exercising, what are the two things that people should do? I've heard one from your talks that if you take, you know, maybe even just three drops of or 60 IUs of vitamin E, that that would actually be very protective, and so the benefits of exercise, you know, might outweigh the negatives because you're taking precautions prior to the exercise. Um, is there, uh, is yeah. that true? And, and, and a lot of athletes are starting to use baking soda before the stressful exertion. Uh, that provides extra sodium and bicarbonate and CO2. Okay, so both of, you, both of those are protective. So if you did that and you had a little bit of sugar or whatever, orange juice, that would somewhat mitigate the... DNA damage or whatever that might occur. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Second question relates to um, I don't know if you've heard of this, but um, it's called cat's claw, and supposedly what it does it's a I think a root bark that ultimately, um, if you boil it for 30 minutes, and maybe it's like uh, mushrooms where you know there's bad things in them, but if you boil it for an hour, you know the bad things go away and then all the good stuff stays. But it supposedly repairs DNA and has been used for like a thousand years by the Aztecs and Incas, have you have you familiar with it uh, at all, or do you do you agree or disagree with it? Uh, what's the name of it again? Cat's claw. Cat, cat's yeah. claw. C A T S, and then C L A W. I. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, no, I've, I've never studied that. All right. <laughs> okay, so you're talking about a product called uh, Uncaria Tomentosa, and exactly. um, yeah, and they've uh, produced. It was a big deal for Lyme's disease about four or five years ago. Um, they produced, or in fact, a company called Mediherb in Australia produced a TOA free, which is the uh, oxindole alkaloid that was supposedly responsible for, um, you know, mitigating the effects of Lyme's. Um, the I'm not too sure of its um, activity for what you're you're, uh, you're you're mentioning, but um, I know it in the context of uh, its use in Lyme's disease. 
Okay, so it is. So you, there is some benefit to it. The, well, the, definitely the, for limes, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the other question um, I had is, you know, you talk about vitamin K. Then there's the vitamin, you know, MK, uh, vitamin K2. I'm, uh, there's MK4 and MK7. And, you know, you, you see MK7, but my understanding, oh, sorry, there's MK1, MK4, and MK7. If you're supplementing uh, uh, vitamin K, is it appropriate to make sure that you have just MK4? Because that's the one that, that, that is the most important for the... Um, if, um, you, if you eat animal liver, you're getting the whole variety of them and that's because the liver can convert k1 or k2 to the other higher chains and so i i think k1 is adequate or k2 because our liver can can make the others oh, our own livers yeah oh, oh okay okay all right so um if i may there's just one last, so i have a thought yeah if your thyroid is active that means that your adrenals are inactive. So I think they work in reverse. So if you take an example of someone who's always low thyroid and their their adrenals are very active, so that um, so that they're generating lots of cortisol throughout their whole life. Since that's the fight or flight um, response, if if they train their body to chronically produce that cortisol to make up for their their chronically low thyroid activity. Is it conceivable that those people, because it's fight or flight, that they, if in the absence of some sort of crisis, that they might actually try to create a crisis to essentially enable them to maintain that, that, that wrong cycle? I mean, it sounds crazy. Uh, uh, no, in, in the early 60s, that was a, a very common uh, idea among psychologists and psychiatrists, and I've known people that seem to... Uh, typify that condition where uh, uh, they, they know how to create excitement and turmoil. So you agree. So you agree with it. And then the solution then would be to try to get your thyroid action up, because then and, and to really change the cycle to make sure your thyroid is active with all the ways that you've described. Uh, yeah, to... uh, people who had been creating turmoil just sit around and enjoy and smile. <laughs> Okay. All right. Thanks, th- thanks very much. Yeah, appreciate your call, caller. Okay, so the number if you're in the area or even out of the area or even on a different continent, it's 707-923-3911. Okay, so Dr. P, uh, just moving on a little bit from um, postpartum depression, but still keeping the thread of uh, where we're going with the hormones and or the approach to the treatment. Apart from progesterone supplementation, could anything else be done for women um, who exhibit gestational diabetes as a symptom of this kind of energetic defect? Um, uh, yeah, I started thinking in relation to the previous question that it isn't just a matter of the thyroid and adrenals, but uh, all of the hormones are involved in the energy process. Uh, and uh, uh, so the... Uh, importance of sodium and calcium in pregnancy. Uh, it isn't uh, just for blood volume and bone building and such, but those are closely involved with thyroid in uh, avoiding the adrenal stress hormone excess and keeping up the energy system. Okay. All right, because it, it seems time and time again the uh, 
The uh, prerequisite here is metabolic energy, and it's that it's that defect here that's uh, largely in part for causing everything else to uh, fall with it. And so, thyroid hormone and those things that support uh, an active thyroid and the uptake uh, by the cell and all the secretion. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, and people who who have a, a history of stress, uh, besides all of the essential nutrients, uh, uh, protein and vitamins and trace minerals and so on. Uh, will have an increased requirement for sodium and, and uh, calcium and the vitamin D to help assimilate the, the calcium. Yeah. Okay. Um, I had a question that was um, uh, written to me um, about a, a website this person had visited, and um, yeah, this person was a doctor. <coughs> Excuse me. I think they're a, a nat- uh, I think they're a naturopath, and. Um, it was devoted to the idea of chronic vitamin A toxicity as the underlying uh, cause of most conditions. And I quote, uh, the statement there said, the basic premise is that many autoimmune diseases are caused by being in a chronic state of elevated storage levels of retinol, retinoic acid, and possibly the carotenoid vitamin A precursor. Uh, do you have any comment uh, about this website's author and or uh, what was your views on the necessity of vitamin A, B, and are, are you aware of toxicity in general with this? Um, it, it is used uh, to um, make uh, uh, these steroid hormones, all of them, from cholesterol. Uh, uh, thyroid and vitamin A uh, travel together on a protein in the blood. They're so closely associated and are taken up by the steroid-producing cells together. Uh, so you just don't produce hormones, for example, without vitamin A. And it's used in protein synthesis, uh, making hair and skin and so on uh, will fail if you're deficient in vitamin A. Uh, mucous membranes thicken uh, and stop producing mucus with a vitamin A deficiency. Uh, and someone sent me these books by a recent uh, author uh, claiming that there is vitamin A toxicity rampant, and uh, I looked through it and couldn't find any facts at all. Huh. All right, so you were contacted by somebody who had a similar question about vitamin A toxicity being, uh, you know, yeah. touted as being the, the causal... Yep, many, many years ago, uh, some uh, Arctic explorers uh, ate uh, polar bear liver, uh, and uh, their, their skin got inflamed and, and started peeling off. <laughs> And that has been cited in textbooks for, uh, I guess, 80 years or so as proof that vitamin A is toxic. But, you know, polar bears sometimes eat fish that have been poisoned by algae, and their livers will store that for up to 24 hours at a very toxic level. And they might have just gotten some some fish toxin, uh, algae toxin, by way of the fish so even even that uh, very famous uh, basis for claiming vitamin A toxicity, there's no fact. Okay. Huh. Uh, and uh, when the drug companies were coming out with things like uh, Retin-A, there right. were sudden uh, news releases all around the country from medical schools uh, reporting incidents in, in which uh, people, for example, went blind from taking vitamin A and uh, one of them at the University of Oregon, I, I phoned the department and tried to 
get in contact with the professor who had told that to a newspaper. I couldn't get any personal verification. I think they were all just made up on with the encouragement of the drug companies to create the desire for the safe, non-toxic, synthetic vitamin A's. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I just quickly can I ask you about vitamin B12 because uh, I wasn't going to as part of the outline that I'd pr- produced for the show. But um, given that um, I do, I do, and have seen um, lab work where people's vitamin B12 is uh, outside the range and is is pretty high. Um, and it can be produced by bacteria in the intestine, and I've I've seen probably a dozen people with extremely high vitamin A or vitamin B12 who weren't eating any source of it, uh-huh. but I think it must be coming from overgrowth of bacteria in the small intestine. Okay. Uh, huh. year, years ago, I um, knew a guy who was very sick, a vegetarian, and he showed me his blood tests, had extremely high carotene and extremely low vitamin A. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Knowing that uh, vitamin B12 is used in converting carotene to vitamin A, I suggested that he eat some vitamin B12. Within just a few days, his vitamin A was up to normal, the carotene had gone down, and all his symptoms had disappeared. Cool. (laughs) Okay. All right. Uh, So you're listening to Ask Your Doctor, KMUD Galvaville 91.1 FM. Uh, From now until the end of the show, 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions. Number seven zero seven nine two three three nine one one. Okay, and we'll we'll carry on here with the other questions that I've got for you on the lights flashing. I was wondering if people, everybody's out for the solstice to celebrate, and that they're going to hear this uh, later on in the archives. I, I, I regularly get people emailing me; they've listened to the show on the archive, and they ask questions, you know, there and then on the emails. But I was wondering, the phone's ringing, and uh, let's take this next caller. Caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? Hi, I'm uh, curious. Uh, I have been hearing from a lot of my football friends lately that there's a product out in Texas called pickle juice. Are you guys familiar with what the pickle juice constituents <laughs> of pickle juice are? Hmm. Uh, Lots of athletes it? drink pickle juice. I drink kimchi juice for the salt to put off cramps. Right. Okay. Uh, well, do they say what it contains? That is. Uh, a... Well, they, it's it's astringent. You know, it has sure. obviously has pickles that are you know molecularized in it. And it's uh, you know it's a, it's something they they claim it's for people who have hangovers and you know we we know that in our little town people have a hell of a hangover and that's why they drink their coffee in the morning. Curious to know if you guys know anything about that or you might want to look into that, Doctor Pete. I, I imagine it would contain lactic acid if it's the tr- traditional way of making pickles ah. and, and salt and. Uh, just uh, some salty uh, uh, anything in the morning can uh, be very settling. Uh, oh, very good. Helps to regulate your blood sugar and lower the stress hormones. Well, I did have another question. I have, I have contacted you in the past and it was concerning that monk fruit sugar. Have you done any more in, in, uh, research on that by any chance? No. Okay, well, I'll tell you, you know, just for the folks out there, uh, pretty soon people are going to be able to eat their chocolate candies, won't have any sugar in it, they won't have to look over their shoulders apprehensively at their doctors anymore, and they'll be able to eat a 36-count box of uh, the monk fruit sugar because it's actually 
a cure-all in China for <laughs> diabetes. All right, we'll keep our ears and eyes open, and uh, we'll see where the uh, see where the, the uh, research comes from, and uh, see the see the published reports. We look forward to that. I appreciate your call. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so Dr. P. I had um, again. Another, I wanted to post another um, email question to you for your response to it because that person was unable to call during the last show. Um, it was about SLE, uh, systemic lupus erythematosus. Um, typically characterized as an autoimmune disorder and uh, the butterfly rash is something that we were always told uh, when we were doing uh, pathology at school and um, so the butterfly rash the malar rash was an outward classic sign of it uh, what do you what do you know about sle and what would be your approach to this quote unquote autoimmune disease that attacks the joints and uh, either the brain or kidneys and other organs like the other autoimmune diseases, it's much more common in women than men. Right. And uh, animal models uh, can be created with an estrogen excess. Uh, estrogen activates a whole uh, row of, of uh, in, inflammatory processes. And uh, thyroid and progesterone are things that have been pretty successful Women that uh, believed they were going to have to have a kidney transplant or something uh, when they took uh, progesterone and thyroid, uh, found they had no more symptoms. So you could you could definitely see it as an estrogen excess uh, symptom. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. Well, we do have another caller here. Um, so, caller, let's take this question. Where are you from? What's your question? Uh, Jersey. Uh, question. Uh, there's a. New Jersey or Jersey? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. New Jersey. There's a professor uh, from MIT that's been studying uh, glyphosate and some of the effects. And while she hasn't done her research on it, she seems quite knowledgeable, though she's probably not, she's an engineer by training, um, and seems to have an hypothesis that glyphosate um, is so similar to the glycine molecule that it actually can potentially displace glycine. Um, which seems to be similar to um, the notion that fluoride can actually displace iodine because it's so similar, which, you know, is obviously troubling for the thyroid, which is probably why they want the, uh, the water fluoridated to, to mess people up. But, 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 but on the, on the, is, what, do you know anything about how damaging glyphosate is? Because I know you've mentioned in the past it's water-soluble, but the notion that it could replace glycine, does that, that could seems to have more systemic issues. What's your thought? I, I think it's very toxic at, at such small amounts, extremely small amounts, uh, that uh, interfering with glycine wouldn't uh, do much at, at that tiny level. Uh, I think the mechanism is uh, more likely related to uh, uh, DNA uh, regulation. DNA damage? Yeah. Okay, so one other question relating to green vegetables. I know you've mentioned that they're a good source of calcium, but they have PUFA in them. And just to clarify my understanding, I remember at one point you were saying that if you boil them, like for an hour, that they become, um, or, or somehow the PUFA content goes down and they become more of a proper food. Uh, you, can, that... you can skim it. If any fat rises to the surface, you just pour that off. 
Well, actually, I, I wasn't talking about boiling them in water as opposed to actually steaming them. Um, maybe is there a difference there, or do you treat that the same? Because steaming them, you'd have the water boiling, and you wouldn't really there'd be nothing to pour off. Uh, yeah, you, yeah. I think it's an ad- advantage to be able to pour off any of the fat that rises. So you're saying it's better to boil them essentially than to steam them would be uh, safer. Yeah, and, and to drink the the liquid because the the magnesium and calcium, a lot of it goes into the water. Uh, oh, you're saying it, and don't eat the vegetables? Uh, well, if you need carbohydrate and uh, any protein and such, uh, they, they do have that value. But the, the important uh, magnesium and calcium, uh, a lot of it goes into the water. Oh, I see. And so does the poopa remain in the leaves even though you're boiling them, or does that mitigate itself too? Uh, uh, yeah, a lot of it remains uh, tied into the proteins of the leaf, and when you eat it, your your bile salts will uh, cause you to absorb uh, most of the PUFA that is associated with the, the protein in the leaf. So you're saying no matter how much you boil it, that's one of the reasons why you don't eat green vegetables? Uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. There you go. Like it is. Okay, so uh, we've got six minutes here. Um, so if anybody else wants to call in with another quick question, that's fine. Otherwise, we'll wrap up with another question. But uh, 707-923-3911. Uh, Dr. P, I wanted to ask you about another. Uh, you may not have an answer to this, in which case I have one more question for you. But it came out today, I think they patented it, um, and the FDA approved it. Uh, it's another drug, and it's based on... Um, based on melanocortin, and it's used for females uh, as a kind of Viagra alternative uh, for uh, increasing sexual arousal and appetite, both for men and women, and it's called Vileasy. Uh Do you know anything about it? If you don't, it doesn't matter. But <laughs> I, I, No, but the, the principle, uh, two, two things stand out. Uh, the um, pro-opio melanocortin is the uh, precursor protein for making melanocortin and uh, beta-lipoprotein and the endorphins and ACTH. Uh, And so Mm. those are things that come up during the stress reaction. Uh, And so the melanocortin uh, and its receptors are normally activated during stress. And again, if you take uh, one of the end hormone products uh, and take it out of the context of, of the rest of the stress reactions, you're going to have wildly un- unpredictable effects. Uh, and the suppression of appetite is one of the things uh, known to be associated with those receptors. Hmm. Wow. Uh, and uh, if a woman is lacking desire for a physical reason rather than just social there are probably serious metabolic problems that are going to be ignored if you just try to sure. push up uh, one single mental function. Uh, and uh, you, you should be looking at, the, the uh, for example, the DHEA is a great uh, activator of libido, but it goes down under stress okay. when cortisol rises. Uh, the cortisol has an anti-libido effect, uh, suppressing the effect of DHEA. So you, you should be uh, concentrating on lowering the stress uh, and, if anything, uh, giving a boost to the 
uh, anti-stress things with pregnenolone, progesterone, or DHEA, or thyroid. Yeah. Okay, and very quickly, for people that are listening out there, don't just use DHEA. You've always mentioned that DHEA should be used in conjunction with adequate thyroid, otherwise you can uh, turn or convert some of that DHEA into estrogens, correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right, thanks very much for your time, Dr. Peter. It's three minutes to the top of the hour here, and I'll let people know how to find you. Okay, thank you. Okay, so uh, for people that have listened to the show this evening, uh, Dr. Ray Pete's website is www.raypeat.com. Um, he's got lots of articles that he's written. He produces a newsletter. Uh, it's fully referenced. And uh, keep your keep your eyes and ears out. The uh, the show is uh, going to be up on an Instagram page that's going to be do- uh, dedicated to Dr. Pete, what he actually said, uh, not what, unfortunately, some of the bloggers on the Ray Pete forum are just creating their own their own imaginations and uh, creating a, uh, a theory from it. But um, just to make sure that people get exactly what's been said, uh, it'll be posted uh, on the Internet here or oh, probably three or four months' time, um, busy getting together and collaborating uh, with a very, a very kind person who has agreed to type up uh, a lot of the stuff and to um, put it up. And I'll be collating it with that person. And probably in three or four months, we'll have a Instagram page dedicated to Dr. Pete's uh, philosophies. Um, we can be reached uh, Monday through Friday, or in fact, Monday through Sunday, if you just want to leave a message or you want to write an email. It's andrew at westernbotanicalmedicine.com uh, or one eight 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 wbm herb Uh, Thanks for listening, and until the third Friday of next month, uh, thanks for joining.